Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Today we'll be um, talking mainly about, still under the subheading of hemolytic diseases, but we'll talk about hemoglobin synthesis disorder. So that we're going to be covering thalassemia, so both the alpha and the beta type, and also sickle cell disease. Is there anything else you want to cover today? I think that's plenty enough to go through just for one episode. I think that's quite a bit. So stay alert and don't get lost. Also brace yourself. We're going going for a big ride here. It's a pretty busy topic, um, but we'll really do our best to try to explain it. So Andy, do you want to kick us off by telling us? Before we do that, if you're not familiar with hemoglobin synthesis, listen to our hemoglobin podcast yes. first and then dive into this guy. That's really key because you know we'll, we'll be talking about structures and different yep. types of hemoglobin and you need to understand that yep. to understand this. Tool. Okay, sorry. Go back again. So what is thalassemia? So thalassemia is a defi- uh, defect in hemoglobin synthesis. And if you remember, hemoglobin has a few different types. Mainly we're talking about in adults, so it's the alpha chains and the beta chains. A defect in alpha or beta production will lead to, uh, is what a thalassemia is. Yeah, so it leads to ineffective erythropoiesis and eventually hemolysis because these cells are not functioning. And then so, you know, as we mentioned, you're going to have all those generic symptoms of hemolysis that you can learn and memorize and write it in an exam. Actually, where does this hemolyze? Is it in the bloodstream or is it uh, whereabout? It's predominantly, I'm going to say, it's predominantly in the the spleen because you're going to have splenomegaly. But we'll talk about more of that, I guess or the clinical features a little bit later. So alpha thalassemia is more common in East Asia. Okay. And beta thalassemia is more common in the Mediterranean. Okay. Now, it needs to be mentioned that with the alpha gene, you have two copies, two on one chromosome and two on the other chromosome. So four copies in total. Four in total. Yeah. Whereas with the beta, yep. you only have one on each gene. Yep. So you can automatically guess which is going to be the more sort of concerning subtype. You know, like if you... Mm. Uh, and, and that's going to be B, beta. Yeah. Because you only have two instead of the four, yep. as you would with alpha. Okay. So let's talk about beta thalassemia because that's the main one that. Luckily, I think from the name, if it's an alpha problem, it's an alpha thalassemia. If it's a beta problem, it's a beta thalassemia. Exactly. So, okay, so beta thalassemia. What can go wrong? So there's a problem with the beta chain synthesis, right? Yes. Beta globin chain synthesis. So it's often, and this is really important to distinguish, it's due to a point mutation, not a deletion. A deletion affects the alpha, point mutation affects the beta. So the entire gene is there, but it's it's not entirely gone. So from yeah. from that, I think you, you mean that if there's a problem, it can either decrease the production or uh, let's say if the mutation is really severe, then it could dysfunction the whole thing. But exactly. Whereas with alpha, the whole thing would just disappear. That's right. So okay. that entire section, that entire gene or yep. one of the four genes it's gone yeah um, so point mutation when you replace the nucleotide with another nucleotide if you're lucky it doesn't do anything but if you're unlucky then it may change the function of the, the protein like you mentioned it can lead to either a complete you know lack of beta globin or it could decrease its efficacy or its production what happens then so if, if your yep. beta cells are not being pro- beta globins are not being produced or if they're not functioning properly what can happen Andy what can happen is that the you have an excess production of uh, so not production but you have an excess availability of alpha chains yeah because they're not pairing up are they no because a normal hemoglobin a which is 95 what 95 percent of our hemoglobin is in an adult are made up of two alpha chains and two beta chains so if you don't have enough beta chains you're going to have more alpha chains in comparison yeah and then you can lead to four alpha chains pairing up together making this weird complex 
the body decides that it's wrong and so it's just going to cause the um, red blood cells to actually be lost in the bone marrow mm -hmm. as well as the spleen so that's the hemolysis we mentioned just then that the beta chains can be either lost uh, or decreased or a complete loss in production yeah. right so a loss in so a reduction in the synthesis is called a b plus whereas a b0 is a mutation where there's completely no, no chain, chain uh, yeah. production and i think that's actually quite important when you try to read later on what type of thalassemia it is because some will say b0 slash b0 or b plus slash b0 yeah and that's yeah. what they mean it's another important so yeah you can have low functioning types and you can have no functioning type but it's a little bit more complicated than that because you can have homozygous versions so when you have two genes that are non one from each parent that are not functioning or you can have a heterozygous so one from one parent non-functioning and one from the other parent functioning so obviously the heterozygous are typically less severe because you have one chromosome or you know from your one of your parents is compensating right whereas if you're completely homozygous then that's going to be really bad so yeah the homozygous have the worst sort of diseases so they can have those severe beta thalassemia symptoms which we'll talk about so are these the two they are that both have two b pluses or yes. they have both two b uh, b zeros yeah. yes exactly okay. whereas the intermediate ones are the ones that maybe they might have slightly the heterozygous yeah. sort of subtypes or semi-functioning or non not completely debilitating forms of mutations which still enable the beta cells to have some function and they're called intermediate so what would you see in an inter intermediate sort of situation what you would see is that you've got high levels of f chain production and so what we mean by that is just you've got high levels of hemoglobin f which is the fetal form of hemoglobin yeah. isn't it if you don't have enough beta chains then the body's going to compensate with another form and so you'll proportionately see a higher level of exactly. hbf i think one thing we uh, we didn't quite mention as of yet we mentioned there's this intermediate form but so so beta thalassemia also splits into major intermediate and minor yes although i think if you had if you had to pick something to study maybe focus we'll focus on the major a lot more than mm. figuring out what exactly might the intermediate does but yeah we'll, we'll move on to it yeah yeah and like we mentioned the homozygous ones are typically the major subtype That's and the, the heterozygous major. type are the minor subtypes heterozygous minor because you have another gene from your parent one of your parents genes is functioning so they're gonna compensate we should mention delta beta thalassemia just so we cover the what entirety that? yeah. that's when you have no production of beta or delta chains and so as a consequence you have uh you, you can you have fetal hemoglobin only in these patients they're they're not going to be asymptomatic as let's say someone with full-blown thalassemia because hemoglobin f which is the fetal hemoglobin can still interact with oxygen relatively well mm -hmm. but what's so unique about hemoglobin f andy if you look at the oxygen saturation curve it's a left shifted curve so that means that it binds to oxygen really well but it just doesn't like to let go of it as, yeah. as easily yeah. so i can see that becoming problematic if suddenly your oxygen demand goes up let's say when you're exercising really vigorously or um, if you have let's say cardiovascular disease or ischemic heart disease okay yeah. then maybe then you start showing some symptoms but yep. you know in, normally this is i guess a minor mm. form of, of the the condition so to summarize it you've got homozygous which is major. typically the major you have intermediate mm -hmm. what are the other two and then there's the minor and also a possible delta beta thalassemia yeah. i think in terms of treatment wise oh actually no we'll, we'll move on to that later so yeah i won't jump ahead yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about. So from now on, most of our talks going to be focusing on the major because that's the one that you really worry about. Yeah. So what are some of the clinical features associated with major thalassemia okay. or the homozygous type? If they have beta thalassemia major, you won't see it 
until the child is of six months of age and can you kind of guess why that might occur the answer was in the previous the physiology of it yeah and so yeah. i can i can have a guess and i'm suspecting that the newly born kids up to about three to six months will still have some fetal hemoglobin until yeah. that eventually goes now you don't completely lose fetal hemoglobin mm-hmm. refer to our talk on hemoglobin physiology if you're a bit confused you still have some amounts in an adult form but once you lose that in a child and then you can't produce mm. proper hemoglobin hemoglobin a then you start developing the symptoms so what are some of the other symptoms that you can come to expect yeah so at six months time when the body switches over to um switches over to alpha uh, so the adult hemoglobin form so that that occurs at the six months time period and that is usually why a person with beta thalassemia will present at that time because previously before that six months period the body was still relying Mm. on the fetal body Um, but once that presentation occurs then we'll see red blood cell destruction in the spleen so we mentioned that would cause splenomegaly in our last episode you with the increased red blood cell destruction you're going to you're going to have lots of iron that's present in the body so and also partly of the treatment is to continuously give transfusions mm, yeah. so that can also cause iron overload yeah refer to our hem- uh, hemochromatosis episode but there's other things as well there's this really interesting sign that you can see on the x-ray it is the coolest looking s it looks like the child i mean it's terrible for the child but it looks like you've been electrocuted and the hair on your it looks like your hair is raised and someone's taken an x-ray of it it's called but, a crew cut uh crew cut sign yeah it? yeah exactly but what is it well i mean the term for it is called frontal bossing and okay what happens is that because you have yeah. so much t- red blood cell turnover because of hemolysis your bone marrow goes in you know goes crazy and starts producing much more dri- driving down the erythropoiesis pathway much more and so what would happen is that instead of these erythropoiesis taking place in your normal bones it starts infiltrating all other bones so typically you don't get erythropoiesis let's say in the skull no not at all so you start developing erythropoiesis in the skull so your skull starts expanding yeah you you guys have to look at the images it's pretty uh pretty crazy both of an x-ray and of a just a child with frontal bossing it's very sad but it's pretty um pretty amazing so you're going to get enlarged maxillas as well because you know the erythropoiesis is occurring there as well but in general you're going to get this bone marrow expansion and what happens when you expand the bone marrow and and maybe not have have as much bone density there's a condition is it like something to do with making the bone more fragile yeah, yeah. Okay. So you, you can develop osteoporosis essentially. Okay. We haven't talked about osteoporosis, but we hopefully will cover it in the future. Eventually, yeah. Um, but yeah, so bone marrow expansion, you're going to get frontal bossing, like you mentioned, iron overload, um, mm-hmm. splenomegaly because of the red cell destruction in, in the spleen. So you, you've got these set of symptoms. How do you go about diagnosing it? So we can use, we can look at the type of hemoglobin that's present yep. through a process called electrophoresis. And then another thing is to do a blood film. So we look at what it appears as. If we, if you cast your mind back to our microcytic anemia talk, we talked about decrease in hemoglobin production and the globin chains, which is essentially what today's talk is about, is a vital cause. So if you decrease in the amount of globin chains that's available, then you're going to have low hemoglobin, which will lead to a microcytic appearance. And then we mentioned that you're going to have lots of cell turnover, right? So you're yep. going to have increased reticular cell reticulocyte counts. Yep. in the blood yep. you have these target cells as well yep. and the target cells are really interesting so what happens is that you get because of abnormalities in the hemoglobin you're going to get hemoglobin building up in parts of the membrane and it looks like literally looks like a target if you guys are not sure just maybe have a look at an, at an image in one of your textbooks or just just go to the shopping center and look at the target sign yeah that's exactly what it looks like exactly so it's yeah. got this outer redness and a yep. central redness as well where the hemoglobin has deposited mm. and you're also going to get basophilic sti- uh, stippling which is where 
where the ribosomes condense out. Yeah. And that can be seen on the blood film. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you can look at blood film, but you can also confirm it with HBLC. So okay. that's a technique that's used to separate. So it's called high-performance liquid chromatography, and it just separates different types of hemoglobin chains. Oh, it's used okay. for other conditions as well. Sure. That's what HBLC is. So how do you um, treat... We kind of alluded to it, but Andy, yep. how do you treat this condition? So you require regular transfusions to be um, uh, for the patient uh, because since they're losing so much of their hemoglobin, mm-hmm. especially in the beta thalassemia major type, um, another thing is to help with the turnover of cells is to supplement with folate. Uh, with the with the constant transfusions, you're going to have an iron overload, so you need iron chelation. Mm-hmm. I think another thing was that since the red blood cells can be lost in the they they can get gobbled up in the spleen, so in very severe cases, you might consider getting rid of the spleen. Yeah, which places you at increased risk of infection with encapsulated organisms such as you know H influenzae or meningococcus, mm. and so as a consequence, you need to be vaccinated against those disorders if you oh, haven't been so already and then i think the ultimate form is a stem cell transplant i think that's a really complicated topic so let's not go into too much of it just be aware that you can give stem cell transplant and that essentially cures the condition but you have to be then you worry about graft versus host disease but we'll talk Jeez. more about that stuff yep. in the future so let's move on to alpha thalassemia so i you know what chain is affected in alpha thalassemia it would be the alpha chain beautiful that was such a hard question it was it was tricky um, and what causes yeah. alpha thalassemia so is it a point mutation or is it something else let's have a think about it and it's a deletion isn't it so with alpha thalassemia the alpha chain is found on chromosome 11 and as how mentioned at the very start of the episode is there's four of them in total two on uh, each chromosome from each parent mm-hmm. now each time if there's a mutation in one we're talking about a deletion so we're going to lose a complete one there's four possible chances uh, of outcomes in alpha thalassemia right so you can either lose one of the copies that makes alpha you could lose two copies you could lose three copies or you could lose all four mm-hmm. um, if you think about it the one with the one where you lose all four is the most severe whereas the one where you only lose one or two is kind of manageable yeah. maybe yeah so um yeah one or two like you said that patients are asymptomatic they might have microcytic hypochromic anemia because you still have this hemoglobin abnormality if you lose three genes then that's when it starts getting really messy so okay. with three genes you develop so four beta chains start binding together because there isn't enough alpha alpha chains and you develop hemoglobin H and then with four genes unfortunately that's a fatal condition and uh, the, con- the fetus often dies in, in utero and that's called hydrofetalis yep. but the hemoglobin that is formed is HB bar and it's comprised of four gamma chains yep. so gamma chains are not able to bind to the alpha chains yep. which might be in the, that form the fetal hemoglobin yep. and so you form HB BART, which is that type of hemoglobin with four gamma chains, and that is fatal as well, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. How do you investigate for it? Once again, would you look at a blood film and have yeah. a look? Also, I guess try to look for the presence of these HBHs. That's pretty people. much it's the same, yeah. it's a very similar diagnostic approach, you know, hemoglobin electrophoresis looking for uh, HBH inclusion bodies. Um, so, you know, these special stains can pick up these um, hemo- special hemoglobins. Okay. Um, but then you can also have a genetic test as well to, yep. to make sure, to detect whether you have it or not. In terms of treatment-wise, if you have one or two defective alpha genes, no treatment is necessary. You just might be microcytic. Yep. If you have HBH, which is, you know, where three genes are affected, yep. 
that's similar to beta thalassemia intermediate. So you're gonna have some symptoms, but it's not life-threatening like thalassemia beta major. And if you have HB buds, unfortunately that is life-threatening. And I didn't know this, but you can get into uterine transfusions, which wow. is insane. But that's how you keep the fetus alive until delivery. So treatments can be a bit limited. Yeah. So that is pretty much thalassemia. Now, are you guys ready to... Okay, we're, we're almost there. We'll just dig into the last one called sickle cell anemia, isn't it? So let's talk about, thal um, we'll talk about thalassemia. So let's talk about um, sickle cell disease, which is kind of related. We promise you guys it's not going to be very long and we'll yep. keep it short and sharp and, and to the most important points. I have to admit, sickle cell is really confusing. Mm -hmm. It confused me when I was going through it. Um, I think I've got a bit of a good handle on it. Yep. So what causes sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia? Okay, so once again, this is something that's wrong with the hemoglobin. Thus, we're talking all about it in this one episode. It happens on the beta chain and there is this single nucleotide substitution. So, so it's just one, isn't it? It's one. not like all the like thalassemia beta where there might be other types of substitutions. This is just one specific type. Yep. And so if you were to learn one thing about sickle cell anemia and want to stand, make it sound like you know it, it would be to say that sickle cell anemia is from the glutam uh, so glutamic acid nucleotide is substituted and changes into valine which has some serious effects on the on the function of hemoglobin Actually, sorry i should clarify so the glutamic acid isn't a nucleotide sorry it's the amino acid but yeah. it's the substitution causes glutamic acid to become valine yes and so whatever nucleotide change happens yeah. it leads to a change in the amino acid yes all right you can have different types and mixture this is where it gets really messy yeah so sickle cell disease which is a really bad kind okay so not sickle cell trait which we'll talk about sickle cell disease which is disease. a full-blown condition yep. develops as a result of individuals who have two hemoglobin s genes on each of their chromosomes so one from mom one from dad and that's the homozygous subtype and that leads to hemoglobin s s production yeah I, I forgot to mention just then i think if you had the mutation from the sorry the glutamic acid to valine that produces HBS instead yes. of the regular one, isn't it? So exactly. that's what HBS is. Sorry, yeah, That's on. right. Yeah, I should have clarified that. No, go on. Having said that, it's not as simple as that. So you can be homozygous for HBS and that's really bad. Yep. You can also have one HBS gene. So one of your parents might be affected. Okay. But unfortunately, you're really unlucky and you inherit a beta thalassemia or oh. a beta, you know, beta globin defunct gene from another parent. And that's yep. called compound heterozygous. Because you don't have two copies of the sickle cell gene. You have one, but then you have you know you've been hit with a thalassemia gene unfortunately oh, geez. but you might be lucky and you might just have the sickle cell trait which is when you have one hemoglobin s gene yep. and another one from your parent which is normal so you're heterozygous and that you just you, you just have the trait so hbas isn't it? yes yeah so exactly i guess right. a stands for the regular hba and then you've got one hba uh, hbs so yeah hbas Absolutely. So do you want to maybe talk about HBC sickle trait? That's it. So this is the yeah. last one, guys. Um, okay, we're not going to chuck any more HBs at you, but yeah. Let's so, talk about the C type. HBC. Yeah. So what is that? Like sickle cell, the HBS, which changes the glutamic acid to valine, HBC is when the glutamic acid is substituted to lysine. Yes. So again, another amino acid change. Yeah. What happens? So in these individuals, they have one sickle cell gene as well as one that forms the HBC gene. So they're, they're called HBSC or mm -hmm. the sickle cell hemoglobin C. And I think that also is a bit problematic, but it probably isn't as... It's not as bad because the hemoglobin C type doesn't... We'll talk about what why this is bad, but it doesn't dysfunction as badly as the hemoglobin S 
um, time. So it's it's bad. So you, you have to trade, yep. but it's not severe, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay, and while we're on the topic, yep. what is the like the pathophysiology of it? Why do we care? Usually, hemoglobin. There's a lot of hemoglobin molecules inside the um, so proteins inside the red blood cell and they form they function to carry oxygen but in um in when, with this change in that am- amino acid what happens to these hemoglobins is that when it's set, when it's deoxygenated they like to form chains together in a deoxygenated state these hemoglobins will aggregate together form these huge chains and basically i think it, it's kind of like you set up a, a camping tent on the mm. inside and then you just decide to take one of the rods and set up this huge rod inside that tent and it stretches that tent out into yeah. this weird shape compared to its usual regular shape exactly so instead of being like the red cells being round it, they kind of look like a sickle which you know if you're not sure what a sickle looks like maybe mm. um, look it up and see an image yeah so it's it's this huge there must be this huge polymer chain of hemoglobins that just got stuck together during this deoxygenated state that deforms the whole red blood cell yeah yeah and exactly. this deformity can cause larger problems such as yeah we, we can talk about some of the problems and some yeah. of the clinical manifestations but yeah the, the deformity is an issue because it can cause blockages of microcirculation. we need to make a specific point that the reason you can have sickle cell trait is that if you're heterozygous you need a much lower oxygen partial pressure in the blood yep. for sickle cell formation whereas if you're homozygous even at a really high oxygen pressure you can still form sickle cells and so that can be really devastating because yeah. that can cause you know really severe blockage do you do want to add anything have, to that i was just wondering just do you have any numbers to tell the yeah, yeah. so for heterozygous yeah. a partial pressure of a partial pressure of 40 milligrams of mercury in millimeters of mercury can cause that whereas in homozygous or the severe type a partial pressure of 80 millimeters of mercury which is quite high that you're starting to approach sort of you know normal lung partial pressures yep. that can start causing the crystallization crystallization so Jeez. it's really bad and so you know as we mentioned those sickle cells can block arteries but they can also you know hemolyze over time as well mm-hmm. so let's talk about some of the clinical features then while we're on the topic did you want to talk about the triggers to it yeah actually yeah let's let's talk about yeah. some of the triggers then okay so we mentioned the low oxygen levels but we can it can also be triggered by acidemia so let's say if you've got a metabolic acidosis or a respiratory acidosis that can trigger it if you increase your co2 levels which essentially i guess causes the acidosis that can that can trigger it or increase in this thing called 2,3 dpg um fevers and hyperosmolarities. Mm. So there's a these, quite, it's it's anything that is really putting the cells at an increased um, stress. Should we talk about the yeah, clinical features sorry, now? We'll go through it. Yeah. All right. So do you want to maybe cover some of the common clinical features? So obviously there's one which is hemolysis yeah. and anemia, right? Yep. Once again, with this constant deforming of the red blood cell makes uh, can cause damages to the to the um, membrane, and then that can cause a hemolysis of of the red blood cell. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think one thing we didn't quite mention was that this is not the polymer that's formed by the red blood cell is not irreversible. Yes. So yeah, that's right. when it when the red blood cell becomes oxygenated again, it reforms this nice round mm. shape. So it's going to go into the sickle shape, round shape, sickle shape, round shape quite a few times. Um, that can't be good though. No, but it can. I, I guess that would cause damage to body yes as well as its own membrane yes so, yeah okay exactly so on to the next one yeah so there's a couple of presentations that you can come to see so you can have vasoocclusive so as we mentioned these sickle cells um, yep. these sort of crescent shaped cells yep. can block the microcirculation okay and so what can happen is that you can cause ischemia or you can cause infarction of the tissue unfortunately what happens because this disease can affect 
children and, and, and the young, mm-hmm. you can get infarction of the bone and that can be associated with severe bone pain, but it can also cause bone deformities as well. It can cause infarction in the brain. So often when you see a child that has had a stroke, then you start thinking, hey, maybe this child might have had or has sickle cell anemia because that is a common cause of stroking in kids. But what about the visceral sort of symptoms, Andy? The sickles can actually cause, uh, can get lodged in the inter- uh, inside the organs and can cause blood to be pooling within, within them. And then also it can cause this chest syndrome as well. I believe it gets stuck in the lung and so mm. that can affect the oxygen perfusion. Yeah. Um, as well so that can cause some chest pain yeah exactly uh, another thing is that in combination with a acute infection let's say from a parovirus uh, or folate deficiency it can cause this aplastic anemia and Hamid, do you want to explain yeah for those of you guys who don't know what parovirus is parovirus affects erythroblast development and so if there's a high level of this virus circulating, then that can deplete your erythroblast and add even more pressure on the bone marrow. Or if you have nu- nutrition or nutrient deficiencies, as you mentioned in the case of folate, then the bone marrow just gives up. Yeah. It can't keep up with the cell turnover. Mm-hmm. And so you develop aplastic disease. We're, we're going to talk about aplastic syndromes in a future episode because that's a really important topic. Mm-hmm. But you just have suddenly a massive drop in your reticulocyte count, decreased red blood cells, and these patients need transfusion because to give the bone marrow time to recover. We mentioned about hemolytic disease as well. Overall, you have this vasoclusive presentation, you have visceral presentation, you have aplastic, and you have hemolytic presentation. I think they're the main yeah. um, presentations. And you know, not everyone's gonna present with all of these at once. It's gonna be variable as well. So how do we diagnose it, Andy? We can either have a look at blood counts mm. and then and see what, what is raised or not. So in the homozygous HBSS, you would have raised reticular size because the body's trying to pump out extra. That's a severe form, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And then it will have decreased hemoglobin levels mm-hmm. as well as a decreased concentration of hemo- hematocrit. Whereas with the heterozygous HBAS form, then the blood count can look quite normal. Yes. Yeah. What, what else would happen? So um, often a, a, a good way of diagnosing sickle cell disease is to run a, a hemoglobin electrophoresis where you separate the different types of hemoglobin in the blood. Okay. Because, you know, a normal person would have slight amounts of the, you know, the less common types of hemoglobin. So fetal hemoglobin, for example. So the common ones were what? So the hemoglobin A, which was 95%, yeah. and a bit of A2, and yeah. a little bit of F as well. Exactly. Okay. So in patients who have the heterozygous type, so they have the sickle cell trait, so they have HbAs. Yes. Not HBASS, or no, no, sorry, H-B-S-S. not HBSS. Yeah. If for patients that have HBASS, which is a heterozygous, then you're going to have a reduced fraction of your normal hemoglobin, which is hemoglobin A, but you're going to have an elevated fraction of hemoglobin S, which is not surprising. So okay. you know you still have some compensation yep. from the hemoglobin, but the hemoglobin S is still present. With hemoglobin SS, which is the severe type, so that's the sickle cell disease, you're going to mm-hmm. have no hemoglobin A. You're going to only have hemoglobin S, and you're going to have some hemoglobin um, fetal hemoglobin as well and you're going to have just a normal amount of hemoglobin a2 but the key point is that you're not going to have any of your key hemoglobin which is hemoglobin a um so that's what an electrophoresis would reveal and you mentioned that you could have some anemia as well because of the rapid cell turnover in terms of um, other approaches or other things you might 
expect. If patients have splenomegaly and then you have splenectomies and you remove the spleen, mm-hmm. you can have these type of red blood cells that have a feature called how um, how jolly bodies. Interesting name, how jolly bodies. Yeah. Can you explain what what so, that involves? How uh, jolly body is something that you can sometimes find in a red blood cell. In a normal person, you actually won't find these red blood cells because the spleen picks up on these red blood cells. I think it's a bit of a remnant of a nucleus, yes. isn't it? So I guess in a in a sense, you can call it, I'm thinking of it as a defective red blood cell. Mm. So the spleen picks up it on it and just gets rid of it. Since we're getting rid of the spleen to prevent further damage to uh, further destruction of our red blood cells as a treatment we get rid of this filtering system so now we've got this defective red blood cells with how jolly bodies within exactly and now that will be a sign that you go like okay this person's probably missing a spleen and in addition to that on a blood from you also obviously see sickle cells yeah let's not forget let's not forget the zebra in there (laughs) in the room or the elephant in the room yeah so yeah you get to see this how jolly bodies but you also see that sickled cells which is why you know you call it sickle cell disease Mm -hmm. how do we treat it you can try to prevent yourself from getting stressed in those situations yeah so avoid the stresses avoid yourself getting too deoxygenated i Mm -hmm. guess uh, with or with the acidosis possibly yep. what else we can supplement them with folate to help with the high cell turnover yes uh, anything else that you can think of I mean if they've had a spleen removed as well that an increased risk of infection from and I think we mentioned it before for thalassemia as well then you need to vaccinate against encapsulated organisms and like thalassemia the ultimate cure is a stem cell transplant that's it for sickle cell disease so guys we're really sorry this is such a long talk but the good news is we've covered so much so if yeah. you listen to this you pretty much understand all of the hemoglobin abnormalities that you need to know let's say for an exam yeah is there anything else you want to add before no, we wrap up i think i think that's enough to digest yeah as always if you have any feedback or suggestions let us know um and we'll catch up with you next time our next step we'll hopefully we'll be covering some of the coagulopathies and Ooh, sounds interesting. Um, hemophilia so that should be really interesting so stay tuned stay tuned Thank you for listening to our Common Rounds podcast. You can find all of our episodes, notes, elective experiences, and much more content on our website. So come visit us at thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. And see you next time.